I'd like to begin this morning by sharing with you what I think are the nine most disruptive words in the Bible. And these are those words. And they'll come up on the side screen as well so that you'll know what they are. So those of you on the stream, you can watch it. But these are the words. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. So everybody here in the auditorium, everyone on the stream, I know it's weird to talk to a screen, but I think it'll help you by the end of the teaching, okay? Or someone will just think you're nuts, one or the other. So I'd like everyone to just repeat this or uh, to say it out loud with me that's on the screen. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Let's say it again, a little bit more vibrato. Is that what it's called? I don't know what it's called. Anyways, do it with a little bit more energy, okay? One, two, three. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, the question is, who wrote these words? And why in the world were they thinking when they wrote them? Because this is crazy. This is cray-cray talk. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a challenge in my life, especially a financial challenge in some way, it's very difficult for me to understand or believe these words because they're so disruptive. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, let me show you a couple who went through a lengthy difficult challenge in their life financially. Um, Here they are right here on the screen. That is a picture of my wife, Jennifer, and I. Look at that stud with those glasses half the size of his face, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm the stud, but she was hot then and she's still hot now. I'm just so glad she chose me. You know, we're 30 years almost into this thing. But that couple needed Jesus really, really badly. That's our engagement picture. Almost 30 years ago, we were 22 years old. And this is the truth. We didn't have a clue. We had no clue what we were getting into. We got married in 1994 in July, July 23rd. And we were on a high, as high as it could be, and it was amazing. And then in September, when she went to medical school, we actually found she wasn't placed by where I was living. She was placed here in Muncie. And I was pastoring two small churches in Lafayette, which is two and a half hours away. We only saw each other on the weekends, and because we had to pay for two apartments, we were poor. I mean, we were broke. And then to top it all off, we had two cars that were not very reliable at all. And both of them had over a 100,000 miles on them, and they had their issues. And yet it's amazing to me, some of the most spiritual moments that Jennifer and I had in those early uh, or in our lives happened in those early years of our marriage. One of those happened every single morning when we would go and we would sit in our car and we would have a devotion. It sounded like this. Oh, Jesus. 
Please, God, I know you're a good God. Prove it right now. Please start this car. Vroom, 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 vroom. Hallelujah, I believe, you know. And that was our normal devotion because of the, the situation we were in. The other thing for me that was really difficult, we were so poor that I ate the same thing every single night for dinner, plus I couldn't cook, and this is what I ate, a pot pie. And on Mondays, it was chicken pot pie, on Tuesdays, it was turkey pot pie, and on Wednesday, it was beef pot pie. And after we would do that cycle, I just started it all over again. And do you know what I found about banquet pot pies? Once you eat them that frequently, they all taste the same. Like you can't tell if you're eating turkey, beef, or chicken, it doesn't matter. Now, I know there are some of you right now on the stream and up in the balcony or down here, and you're thinking, well, I like pot pies, Chris. I don't know why they'd be such an issue. Well, here's the issue, folks. It's one thing to choose to eat a pot pie. It's another thing to just have pot pies. And so that's all we had. And the reason we had them is because they were 25 cents a piece. I could get four for a dollar and that was it. That's what we ate. That's what it was about for me. Now, have you ever been there before? Have you ever been broke to the point or struggling with something to where you're just barely making it by? You're just barely getting there. The truth is, I have a feeling that some of you might be there right now. But if not, we've all been there at some point in our life. You know, I kind of laugh at those days now because I'm 25 years later from that five years of my life. But at the time, if I would have heard those nine disruptive words, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, I would have said good advice, but I don't like it. Like, good advice, but I don't want to hear it anymore. So the question becomes, who in the world would write something like that? And what were they thinking when they did so? Okay, here's another picture of my wife Jennifer and I now. Now this is the truth. That couple needs Jesus really, really badly. 30 years later, they still need Jesus badly. And this is one of the things that I've learned in my life. It's this, that even when you kind of have a little bit more financial stability, it's still really, really hard to be content. It's very, very hard to walk through your life and just be content because there is such a proneness for us to be discontented. So again, Who in the world wrote these words and what were they thinking? Well, the writer of these words was a guy by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And a couple of decades after Jesus was crucified, Paul goes to these major population areas in Rome, and in the Roman Empire, and he begins to start speaking about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He leads a small group of people called the Way. That's what they were called. They were called the way. Later on, they became called Christians, but they were called the way. And he started these small little groups all over the Roman Empire. And one of those groups was in a northern city in Greece called Philippi. It's uh, 
in the kind of area that is north of the Mediterranean. And if you're new to the Bible, there are two different kind of parts of the Bible. There's the Old Testament from the beginning of creation up to the birth of Jesus. And then the New Testament from Jesus's life through the early church. And Paul writes all of these books, these letters about what's going on in the early church and what God's doing in it. And one of these is called Philippians. Now, this letter is only four chapters. And I was thinking that some of you might want to read that this week. That this week, it's only four chapters, they're very small, but it's huge encouragement. It's actually more of a letter. And you could write, or you could read four of these, uh, this week, and I think it would encourage you quite a bit. But he's in this Roman area called Philippi. Again, geographically, it's in Greece, just north of the Mediterranean Sea. And he travels to Philippi and he starts a community of Jesus followers and then he leaves. He leaves them alone. We think this happened around 51 AD. And then a year goes by, two years go by, five years, seven years, ten years. But around 61 AD, Paul is no longer traveling and starting these little Jesus communities. But now he finds himself in jail. That's right. He's a Jesus person who finds himself in the slammer in jail in Rome. And one day he, the door opens up. And when you were in jail in Rome, you were chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Think about what that would smell like after a while. And he's just chained to this person 24 hours a day. And the door opens up and here walks in this guy named Apaphroditus. And all of a sudden, Paul's like shocked. He's like, dude, you're here. He's like, yep, I'm here, man. And Apaphroditus, his nickname was called Easy e Some of you from the 80s will appreciate that. But anyways, that wasn't his name. Well, Apaphroditus was from this church in Philippi, and he had traveled to uh, to Rome. And he just came to visit him, and he brought him a gift. All the people in the church knew Paul was challenged, and so they bring a gift of money to give to him. Now, my understanding of Roman imprisonment was the fact that when you were in prison, they just gave you barely enough food to survive. But if you wanted to have adequate clothing, if you wanted to have like adequate protein in your diet, you either had to have money or someone who had money, a friend, a family member would have to bring it to you. And this is what Apaphroditus did. He traveled 800 miles Maybe by foot, we're not sure. But it would take about two months to travel this distance, depending upon the weather. And he travels all of this way. And it's a very long and hard, it's not an easy travel at all, from Philippi all the way to Rome. And he finally gets there. And he gives them this gift. And when someone would do that kind of sacrifice for another person, how do you thank someone like that? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, you have Paul's thank you note to his friends in Philippi. And embodied within this thank you letter, he says, listen, I want you to know something though. 
This is what I want you to know. I'm grateful for the gift that you gave me, but I want you to know that I had joy and peace actually before the money came. You need to know that I'm thankful and I'm grateful and I'm joyful and I have peace that the money's here. But I want you to know I was already that way before the money came. And if the money would have never come, I would have still had a sense of contentment in my life. And it's within this context of this gift that Paul then shares these nine disruptive words when he says this. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So how is it that we experience this kind of freedom? I mean, Paul is in prison. He's chained to another man for 24 hours a day. And yet he says, I'm actually free. Well, the first step to kind of experiencing this kind of freedom is that you learn contentment. You don't just become content one day, folks. You actually have to learn contentment. Contentment means freedom from having to buy all the stuff that I think I need that you'll probably never use. Contentment is actually saying enough. I actually have enough right now in my life. I have enough stuff. Contentment is the freedom to be generous with what you have. Contentment frees you to enjoy the things you have without thinking that if I just had one more thing, if I just had one more purchase, then everything would be fine. Again, Philippians 4.11 says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then Paul goes on to say this, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, or whether living in plenty or in want. I think today, if Paul were writing something like this, he might say this, you know what? I have uh, lived in such a way that I have flown first class in an airplane before. And I've also had to put my thumb out to hitchhike to get to the next place. I've done both. I've actually stayed in a five-star resort before and with all the amenities. And I've actually also been underneath sleeping under a bridge for days upon end. I've done both. I've actually had a steak at Lahodi's before and just enjoyed it so much. And I've also gone through two or three days without eating at all. I have done and experienced both. And then there are those words. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, here are the three words, folks, if you want to know what contentment is. Here are the three key words to contentment. They're very easy. Here and now. Here and now. That's what contentment is. Here and now. Let's say that you don't particularly like the job that you're in right now. And you're like, you know what? I'm really hoping for a dream job. But where are you folks? Where are you at? You are here and now. You're here and now. Some of you are in a job right now that you're really satisfied with. And the challenge for you is to wake up each morning and to say, I'm going to give my best to where I'm at. And no matter what, I'm going to do it here and now. 
To wake up each morning and to say, no matter the situation, where I'm at right now, so that I can learn to be content, is to realize it's here and now. Maybe for some of you, it's not your job that you're discontented with, but it's your house. The reality is you're like, you know what, my house is too small or my apartment is too small. Guess where you're at right now, folks? So you are here and now. And maybe, just maybe, God is teaching you how to actually be joy-filled and to have peace in your life in the place that you're in here and now. Well, Chris, you wouldn't imagine the car that I drive. What kind of car do you drive? A 2005 Corolla. A 2005 Corolla. Yeah, that's what I drive. And I don't like it. I want something more. Well, what more do you want? I don't know. Something other than the 2005 Corolla, though. And what you have to learn is that in that moment, wherever you're at, you are here and now. I'm here and now. Anybody remember who this guy is? It'll come on the screen. Those of you on the stream, join along. Who is this? Yeah, Mr. Rogers. And this is what Mr. Rogers said about contentment. He said, the older I get, the more I've come to believe that nothing I buy can take away my loneliness, fill my emptiness, or heal my brokenness. It's pretty good, isn't it? Thank you. Mr. Rogers. Okay, Chris. So far, nice little talk on contentment. Little quote there from uh, Mr. Rogers. Good deal. But this is where my here and now is right now. This is where my here and now is. I'm in Muncie. And you know what's going to happen in about a month from now? My friends are going to leave. And they're going on spring break to Florida. And they're going to Florida. Oh, yeah, some of you are clapping. Some of us will not be clapping. We would like to give another kind of... Well, I won't tell you what we want to give, but we want to give something else because, yeah, they're going to be in Florida. They'll be in a tropical place. And where are you going to be? Here in Muncie. Like here and now. Here and now. You know, sometimes when I'm preparing for a message, uh, it's difficult for me to think about exactly how I would explain the process. And then other times there are illustrations that come directly out of my life. And I want to share one right now. Uh, in November, uh, we learned that my daughter Jordan was just really exhausted all the time. We couldn't figure it out. And uh, she was worn out to the point where uh, she just would start eating ice, like, all the time. She just ate ice after ice after ice. We're like, is she addicted to this? You know, like, is it a 12-step program to ice? You know, I don't know. But she was just, like, just eating ice constantly. And we took her to the doctor, and we found out that she was anemic. She actually had an iron deficiency that was really bad, and we did some iron supplements, and... I was thinking to myself, here and now, here and now. And then uh, we realized the supplements really weren't doing the job. And so what they had to do is they had to put these infusions uh, in an IV. And the very first day that she had it, she literally passed out. Her heart rate went down uh, to 49. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there and it's like, here and now, here and now. 
And Jordan was okay, and, and she got better. And then a couple of weeks later, um, our yard had all kinds of drainage issues. And uh, there was mud everywhere. They took up all of the grass. They said, oh, we're going to bring sod and we'll take care of it. They never did it for weeks. There's mud everywhere, water everywhere. It's just horrible. Here and now, here and now, here and now. And then a couple weeks after that, um, my mom fell three times in one week. And the last time she fell... My dad said, uh, hey, why don't you uh, come and help me get her up? And we got her up, and my wife came over, and we took her oxygen. Her oxygen level was down to 68. Here and now, here and now. And then we take her to the hospital, and we find out she has pneumonia. And six days, six days later, she dies. Here and now, here and now. And then we have to plan a funeral. I've never done that before. With a family member that close. Here and now, here and now. Then we go to the funeral. That's a whole experience. Here and now, here and now. And then I'm finally done with that period of my life. I'm thinking, oh, things are going to be better now. And I get in my van one day and my transmission starts going out. And the headlight on our car, it goes out. And I'm like, seriously, God? And then for eight weeks, there's all of this disruptive, chaotic stuff. And I'm having to realize here and now, here and now. Now, folks, I just want to ask you, am I the only one that deals with stuff like this? I mean, stuff breaks down. Stuff conks out. People we love get sick. People we love, they actually die and they leave from this place called earth. And when that happens, we're here and we're now. Things don't always work out, folks, the way that we think they should. You know, during that whole eight weeks of disruption, the one thing that I realized were these nine words that disrupt all of our lives. These nine words that say, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. You see, folks, when it comes right down to it, you can't control the circumstances, but you can control your attitude and how you respond to whatever it is that's going on in your life. And you finally realize that I can choose an attitude that even when sickness comes and the car breaks down and a loved one gets sick or they die, I can be content whatever the circumstances. It doesn't mean that I have to like it. It doesn't mean that it's fair. It doesn't mean that I have to enjoy the process of what I'm going through. But I can choose to have an attitude that chooses to be content. I mean, because your situation is nasty, do you have to be nasty to everybody else? Just because you're going through a trial, do you have to put everybody else on trial? Just because you're going through a big hurt, do you have to hurt everyone else around you? What if it's possible that God is doing a miracle in your life in the middle of difficult circumstances? What if it's possible that with God's help for me and for each of you, that we're choosing to do our best even when the circumstances of our life are at our worst? 
Now, some of you might be saying right now, but Chris, I didn't want the divorce. And I'm going through this divorce and it's painful and it's hurtful and the betrayal is so difficult. I didn't want to do that. Here and now, Chris, right? Here and now, seriously? Peace and joy? Are you right? Or maybe some of you are going through a financial struggle right now. You're like, I don't even know how we're going to make it. And you're like, here and now, Chris, here and now, really? Peace and joy here and now? Maybe for some of you, you're going through a foreclosure. You're like, hey, you know what? We picked out this house. We built it ourselves. We created so many memories that are there. It's not just a house. It's our dream. Here and now, Chris, here and now, peace and joy, really? Here and now? Chris, here and now is hard. And quite frankly, I don't think I have the strength to do it, Chris. You know something? I don't think Paul did either. I don't think Paul had the strength to do it. I don't think he had the strength within him to be content, whatever the circumstances. So let's turn to the Next step to pursue if you want freedom. You learn to be content. And then finally, we lean into Christ's strength. We learn to be content and then we lean into Christ's strength. Paul wrote these famous words. I can do all things through through Christ who gives me strength. I can do how many things? What's it say? How many? All. Uh, Those of you on the stream, type that in right now. I can do all things, all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, question. How many of you have ever heard that verse before in your life? Just raise your hand if you have. If not, that's cool too. But did you realize it was written in the context of living without Did you realize it was written in the context of seeking contentment? When things were not going well, that's when these words were written. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And then Paul said, I had to have outside help. I couldn't be content just by myself. I only could do this through Christ who gives me strength. That's why Paul, as he's in jail, as he's in this pit, as he's chained to another person, realizes that he didn't have the strength to do it on his own. So he taps into a power that is greater than his own, and that's Christ's strength. And Paul said, it wasn't my strength. It was the strength of Christ that got me through. Folks, what is it that you're going through right now? Are you struggling in a marriage and the marriage is really rocky? Do you have a child that is rebellious big time? Is there some kind of financial debt that you're carrying? You're wondering if you're going to make it. Maybe for some of you, it's an addiction that you have. Or maybe it's an addiction of someone in your family. 
Are you going through depression right now? And you're just like, I can't even hardly get myself up in the morning. Are you going through anxiety because of your job or something else? This is what I need you to understand today. I need to tell you that you can make it through Christ who gives you strength. Because this is the truth. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. God is with everyone in the balcony. God is with the person on the other side of this screen on the stream right now. God is with you. And to make it personal, this is what I want to encourage you to do. That if you need strength, you have to cling to these three powerful words. If you want to receive strength, this is how you do it. You write these words down and you believe them. He's with me. He's with me. No matter what I'm going through, he's with me. So when you have to downsize the house or the apartment, he's with me. When you have to confront a relationship with another person that you love but is hurting you and and causing pain in your life, he's with you. When you have to take that next round of chemotherapy, he's with you. And when your loved one dies and you feel like you're all alone, he's with you. You, no matter what you're going through, he's with you. He's with you. You are not ever, ever alone. A thousand years before Jesus, there was a guy by the name of David who wrote tons of songs. He was considered the greatest king of Israel. And he wrote all of these songs in a book called Psalms. And one of his famous one is the 23rd Psalm. It's called the Lord is my shepherd Psalm. And right in the middle of this Psalm, he writes these words. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, why? Why is that? Why does he say, I'm not going to be fearful? Why does he say that? Because he says, you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are there to comfort me. David writes, I refuse to live in fear because he's with me. He's with me in my trial. He's with me in my discomfort. He is with me. And this is what you need to know today. He's with you. And he's with you. And he's with you. And he's with everyone in the balcony. And he's with everyone on the stream. He is with you. Folks, whatever that ugly thing that's going on that you're like, I don't even know if I can make it through this. Maybe it's your health, a relationship, finances, death of a loved one, whatever it is. This is what you need to remember. He's with me. He's with me. He's with me. Even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, he is with me. And when you leave today from the Civic and you get in your car and you start it up. You know, the truth is, even if you have like me in the early days, vroom, 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 oh Lord, he's with you. 
And for those of you that are on this stream, when you turn this off and you go about your day, whenever that day is, he is still with you. Even when we don't think about him, he's constantly thinking about us because he is with us. So folks, I want you to know, contentment is freedom. Seize it. Learn it. Grow in it. And then when you can't do it yourself, you lean into the one who knows you best and loves you most. And that's Jesus Christ himself. But you know, I was thinking this week that maybe some of you are like me sometimes and you're just not very content. And maybe you're going through a season right now where the truth is you're discontented. You don't feel content whatsoever. And the reason you don't feel content is not because of the car you drive or the house you live in or the job that you have. The reason you're not content is you have not leaned into the strength of Christ himself. Some of you have never really said, Jesus, no matter the circumstances of my life, I am leaning into you right now. And because of that, you have not lived with much contentment in your life. Folks, you know why I can stand up here sometimes and talk about the death of my mom or the heartache of my life or the struggle of that? It's not because of the strength of Chris Bunch. It's because I lean into the strength of the one who knows me best and who loves me most. And some of you need to make the decision to lean in today. You need to settle this for once and for all. That you would actually say, you know what, I'm tired of doing this thing called life on my own or just going through the motions. I just feel discontent all the time. And today's the day where you say, nope, I'm giving my life to Christ. I've seen a change. I've seen what's happened in other people's lives. And I want that. I'm tired of walking and feeling overwhelmed and discontented about everything in my life. And today you can do that. Today's the day. And I was just thinking that maybe some of you, today's the day where you say, nope, I want Jesus in my life. I need his love. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I need his second chance. I need contentment in my life that even when the circumstances are difficult and a challenge, that I can walk through it, not in my own strength, but in the strength of Christ. And you need that strength right now. And so if you do, I want to invite you to share a prayer. It's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but it's one that we pray together as we invite and lean into the one who is there for you, who is with you. He's with you. He's with you. And I invite you right now, if you feel comfortable, to simply repeat this prayer after me. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. 
Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.